This episode of Spectre Cinema Club is brought to you by Dr. Knox's Bourbon. Winter is approaching and the only way to stay warm is with a stiff drink. Dr. Bur- mm. Dr. Knox's Bourbon is aged in the finest barrels around and will make you forget about how tasty your co-workers look. Dr. Knox's Bourbon, 80 proof but 100% delicious. Hello, hello. My name is Devon Taylor, and this is the Spectre Cinema Club, a podcast obsessed with horror movies and breaking down every subgenre under the umbrella. Um, I am your host today. Your usual co-host, Garrett McDowell, is busy on holiday travels and things, aka he has a little bit more of a life than I do. But you know what? I could not resist a fifth Tuesday to close out our cannibal month of November. We've been eating good all month, and uh, I think it's nice to close it out with a, a little bit of a classic, or at least a, uh, a, a cult classic, if you will. Um, but joining me uh, to uh, dig in and dine today is, um, he was just here a few weeks ago, and uh, we, had some, we had some scheduling snafus. We were originally going to do fresh, and then uh, we've had all sorts of changes. Uh, just because, you know, holidays are a, a busy time for people and, and things like that. So, back again is the host of the Incinerator podcast, as well as Movies with Gravy and the mind behind Scripts Gone Wild. It is Mr. Billy Ray Bruton. What the fuck is going on? Oh, you know, just uh, <laughs> just nursing a good old Thanksgiving weekend hangover. Yep, I understand. Actually, I don't understand that this year. I spent Thanksgiving solo for the first time ever with just my dogs. And and not much drinking happened. Lots of cooking happened. Uh, lots of cooking dog-friendly dishes happened, but very little drinking. You know, I, a, a solo Thanksgiving is, is nice, though, too. You know, because then you're cooking only what you want to cook. You don't got to listen to any of the, the, the bullshit small talk, like none of that. It's just uh, you eating good for that day, which I love. So what, what was the best thing uh, that you ate this year? Oh, great question. Well, I made, I mean, I generally make, I mean, the last couple of years I was in LA before I moved to Seattle, I, we did like Friendsgivings and I made literally every single dish. So I am certainly no stranger to cooking an entire Thanksgiving meal. But like you just said, this year I wanted to focus in on the things that I enjoy. And mm -hmm. so I just made, I made a turkey. I just did the turkey breast because I didn't want to make a big ass, you know, 30 pound turkey. I didn't need that. I made a small pre-cooked ham just because, just because. And then I made uh, cornbread dressing, which is my favorite Thanksgiving mm -hmm. accoutrement and mashed potatoes and gravy. And that was it for the main course. No cranberry sauce, no casseroles, no rolls. And then I made a pumpkin pie for dessert. So going with the classics, which we love. I'm pretty sure I asked you this whenever I guested on uh, Movies with Gravy. Are you a light gravy or dark gravy guy? Well, it depends. I mean, I'm I'm an all gravy guy. I'm a both and person when it comes to gravy or all and. For Thanksgiving, though, I if it's not brown gravy, it doesn't belong on the table. 
I I agree with that. It it makes more sense for the color schemes, and it just uh, kind of feels yeah. a little bit more Thanksgiving. So that actually that 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 makes sense. I'm typically uh, <clears throat> I love cooking, but I'm I'm uh, primarily a baker, and uh, so I usually do pies whenever I show up to a friendsgiving or a Thanksgiving. But with this year, um, because as most bartenders know. Thanksgiving Eve is one of the busiest nights of the year. It is absolutely yeah. insane, and Skanksgiving was in full effect this year. Um, so, like, literally Thursday morning, I was so tired and so hungover that I just did not have the effort in me to to do pies. I didn't have the patience for it. Um, so I, I went with deviled eggs, which I've been making uh, a lot lately. I've been making yeah. it uh, for, for D&D nights as well because it's a, a nice little finger food. Uh, but I make them spicy. I uh, got this uh, spicy garlic hot sauce uh, from uh, Smokin' Ed's. It's one of the ones featured on Hot Ones. And it is delicious. And uh, I've, I've realized uh, the thing with cooking with, like, extremely spicy hot sauces is you got to uh, pair your flavors, like, to whatever you're adding it to. So that way it's not so aggressive uh, to, to yeah. complement. So it, it's like... Uh, it's kind of like a cooking. It's like a little science experiment when you're cooking with like super hot hot sauces. Yeah, I'll tell you, I I start. I kind of came up with my own deviled egg recipe a few years ago, which I I make every year now. And all I do is I take your standard deviled egg mix and I mix it with pimento cheese, and then that stuffs inside the egg. And then I baste some bacon in sriracha. Ooh. And a little tiny strip of bacon goes on top of that, and it is fire. It is so good. Um, I Ooh, didn't get to like make that. it this year, but I, I still might for Christmas. It's one of those things, like you talk about you were bringing deviled eggs. Like That used to be my go-to to take places, because let's be clear, it's not that complicated to make. It's nope. pretty quick to throw together. And, um, and so I used to take it to parties and stuff, too. Uh, but I was like, I don't want to just bring straight old deviled eggs. Like I want to do something with it. And yeah. so I was like, how can I even more Southern... A fi, a deviled egg. Oh, pimento cheese <laughs> and bacon. I I, I also added I also added bacon crumbles to mine, and it was very funny because uh, we showed I showed up and somebody else had also made deviled eggs. So she was like she was like it's a deviled eggs off. I was like hell yeah. So they even like put little signs next to next to our platters uh, for people to compare the the our two deviled eggs, which was fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like deviled eggs. I, I It's weird. Like, I love making deviled eggs. I have to be in the right mood to eat them, and I don't always want them food-wise. Like, if you know, so I, it's one of those things. I love making it. I love being creative with it, but I, there's not my favorite thing to eat. But I'm also not someone who enjoys eggs on the whole as much as a lot of other people Ooh, do, so. see i'm a i'm an eggy boy i love eggs for breakfast all the time but speaking of uh, what you're in the mood to eat uh, oh you, there we go and there we go how do you uh feel about cannibal movies in general as uh as we close Ooh. out this month well um i have complicated maybe not complicated maybe basic ass opinions on cannibal movies but um they're not generally one of my favorite subgenres because I think they're so difficult to pull off correctly. And, you know, I was never into the old, like, Cannibal Ferox and Cannibal Holocaust and stuff like that. Never got into those types of films as a young sort of horror fan. Those were always, that was always a subgenre that left me a little cold. Now, there are some notable exceptions. Now, I know you've already covered one a, a cannibal film, which I adore, Bones and All, which came out this year. Mm -hmm. And... 
you know, that's a film that I think is fantastic because it's a it's a cannibal film, but it's it's so much more than that. And I think those are the ones that I enjoy the most, where the cannibal aspects are sort of just the backdrop and aren't really driving the narrative. Yeah, and and uh, and see, you you had the opposite uh, effect that uh, apparently Duckworth had. Um, people were lighting him up on Twitter yesterday because he goes, he goes, not Hollywood romanticizing cannibalism. And oh. I was like, I was like, I was like, you obviously did not watch uh, that movie. Uh, yeah, we uh, it, we had a great conversation about Bones and All, and and uh, and yeah, like cannibals have uh, become like a. A, uh, a new like favorite monster of mine like I've because I've uh, you know seen especially in the past few years I feel like uh, people like in the past decade people have uh, explored cannibalism in different ways rather than just the you know straightforward you know primal urges uh, take or the like sexual urges take uh, I feel like those are like pretty much the only two ways you were serving up cannibals but now in the past 10 years like you said like uh, people have been able to incorporate a lot other subgenres into cannibalism, uh, which I find fascinating because it, it again, like I, I kind of look at them like monsters, but then they're like also like a, a different breed of human in a way. Like it's a, it, but then and then the moral conundrums that come along with it as well. So there's, there's a, a, I've just realized there's a, a lot of different ways we could go about it, and and I've realized like after this month and then what we've movies we've talked previously on uh on the podcast i think we've talked cannibals more than like any other oh. so like we've done like nine cannibal movies oh wow yeah but yeah. not cannibal Hol holocaust uh if you guys were upset that we didn't do cannibal holocaust uh blaine garrett he vetoed that one uh so we'll uh do cannibal holocaust another time maybe well, and, you know, I was originally going to talk Fresh with you today, and I'm actually glad it didn't work out that way because I did enjoy Fresh the first time I watched it, but I did rewatch it again recently and was not nearly as high on it the second time as I was the first. And so um, it's fallen a bit in my estimation from 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 when I saw it earlier in the year. And um, but but, you know, yeah, I mean, cannibal films are they're an odd breed because they used to be so taboo. Like a cannibal film used to be this thing that like you mm -hmm. didn't, you didn't see a lot of them. They didn't get a lot of exposure. They were very underground and now they've become so mainstream to the fact that we've got one literally in a wide release in theaters right now. And you know, people out there being like, Oh, it underperformed at the box office. I'm like, it's a fucking cannibal film. Did you think this thing was going to make $50 million? Like, I don't care that Timothy Chalamet's in it. He's not going to, he's, he's not going to carry a film like that into like, a big box office draw because it's a fucking cannibal movie through and through. That's so true. And it is. Yeah. I didn't even think about it that. Yeah. Most cannibal movies have always been kind of more under the radar releases. Um, have never really gotten that kind of scale that bones and all did. doesn't matter how hot they are. Uh, it's still not going to bring in the money like you think it's going to. But yeah. yeah so, so I've, uh, I've, uh, I've had a good time uh, getting into it. And, uh, and now, uh, this was this was one I was hoping uh, that somebody was going to pick and then uh, the previous guest did not. So I'm glad uh, that you brought Ravenous to the table today. So let's go ahead and get into it. <laughs> Ravenous, released March 19th, 1999. Uh, did you guys uh, pick that one in the 1999 screen draft? I couldn't remember. 
Did it make it? Um, it did not make it. I, it might have been mentioned, but it did not make it, I don't think. And I don't big, even big think... Year. We also did 99 on Incinerator podcast, and I can't remember. I know it was discussed. I know it was discussed, and it might have even made the list. 1999, uh, that, that infamous year once again. Uh, and this was a, a pretty low-key one. This was directed by Antonia Bird, a screenplay by Ted Griffin. And uh, the the coolest uh, tidbit that I didn't see before, like, because I didn't even look it up. I, I've never known what this movie was even about. Uh, but I did not know that the score was done by uh, Michael Nyman and one Damon Albarn. And if you guys know that name, uh, he is of Blur and Gorillaz fame. Uh, one of the few film scores he's done. So that is uh, super fascinating. The cinematography was done by Anthony B. Richmond. And again, this was a pretty low-key and a pretty stacked year, uh, so this only made about $2 million at the box office on a $12 million budget, so unfortunately, uh, kind of a flop. And uh, Rotten Tomatoes has this at a 51% on only 65 reviews, because, you know, the older movies don't have the same numbers on Rotten Tomatoes as they would, but the uh, Voice of the People over on Letterboxd have this at a 3.6 out of 5, so much higher. Uh, which I which I love because again this is kind of gained uh, cult classic status yeah. over the years um, it, and again like I I knew lots about this movie but I or I had known lots of people's opinions about like I've only ever heard good things about this movie um, so uh, it intrigues me on how like kind of low key it was when it came out Billy Ray you said this uh, was uh, your favorite Campbell movie why'd you why'd you want to talk about it uh well. For starters, it was a lot of it had to do with the fact that you kind of showed me the list of the films that you talked about, and I was shocked that this wasn't on there because I do consider this to be, you know, for me, this is the cannibal movie. And, um, you know, I saw this uh, in 99 as soon as it came out. Uh, I was I was definitely one of the very few people who saw it in theaters um, and just became like instantly obsessed with it because it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. And it still is like this film still has a weird quality about it. That's almost otherworldly. And, and, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm fascinated. Like I like when it comes to cannibal stuff, I like the older stuff, like, you know, Donner party massacre, like, like all of the old cannibal lore. Like I can mm -hmm. get really into that. And this, this film is definitely trucking on that. It's trucking on cannibalism as this sort of supernatural force. And that's really fascinating to me. And I also just love, you know, this film is, you know, in 1999, you're getting a mainstream $12 million Hollywood cannibal movie directed by a woman which is kind of amazing in all of the, in all of the best ways. Um, and, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Oh God, I lost my train of thought. Uh, no, but yeah. And so she, Antonia Burt, who has sadly passed away, uh, in, I think 2013, it's been a few years now, but made some really interesting films. And I think Raven, you know, priest is the one that a lot of people know her from came out in 1994. It was kind of this big deal. Uh, and, uh, but Ravenous to me is the most interesting thing that she ever made because, you know, it was originally going to be directed by this guy whose name I can't remember. He's the one who shepherded it all the way up until they couldn't agree on a budget. And then Raja Gosnell was going to come in to take over, but the cast rejected him as director. And so then Antonia Bird came on board very last minute. And so came in at the absolute last minute to helm the production. And, um, and I'm just kind of in awe with what she was able to do with it. 
Had you seen this before? No. So this was a first time watch for me. First time Ooh. watch. Didn't know it was directed by a woman. Didn't know uh, this movie is super gay. We're gonna get into that for sure. Oh, oh yeah, very queer yeah, throughout. We will, we'll definitely get onto that. Um, but yeah, this is you know it's a it 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 has kind of like again like I I mentioned like in the in the intro like about like you know the the kind of two ways that Campbellism usually kind of go and this movie kind of falls into that but it does them both uh, vague enough in a way that still makes it interesting. Um, so I, um, but the, the tone threw me off. I, 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 the, the, I was not expecting this like kind of, oh, whimsical, like quirkiness to it. And so like that, that like, I was like, oh, okay. Cause like for some reason I thought this was like a very, very serious movie. Like I've always, I've always been under the impression that this was like a very serious, like period piece, like cannibal drama. And it's not that it's, uh, it's very different. Yeah. So I'm I'm glad that I was um surprised by the tone of it and um <clears throat> and uh it, and, and yeah I, I like the uh this this is kind of the only one that we've uh, really went into this month that uh really goes into like some cannibalism uh mythology like from uh you know previous yeah. things uh I, I I like totally didn't realize until I was watching I go oh yeah we have not like even mentioned the word Wendigo uh, this entire yeah. month, which is, you know, tied very heavily to cannibalism. Yeah. And, and I'm glad that this movie also, I was like, I, w- I was glad that we didn't actually get like a, 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 you know, like beast, uh, creature in this as well. Like they didn't try to exploit the Wendigo, uh, mythology. Like I feel like some other movies tend to do, uh, cough, cough antlers recently. Mm. And, um, you know, so I like that, you know, it was mentioned and it like kind of uh, is, is the seed planted for the, the paranoia and, and the horrors that would uh, go on throughout the movie. Um, so before we get into our subgenres, you really you ready to uh, give a 60 second synopsis, Billy Ray? Oh, sure. I'll do my best. All righty. I'm going to put you on a timer. You can use the whole 60 seconds or you don't have to. However, you want to present this movie. So I got you in three, two, one, go. So it's the Mexican-American War. You've got the Guy Pierce character who has uh, basically been decimated. He hides under these bodies in this cowardly sort of way. Then he ends up taking over the encampment. But because of how cowardly he was, he gets sent to this remote outpost. Uh, There, along the way, he comes into contact with uh, the Robert Carlyle character who... uh, isn't quite what he claims to be and might have some otherworldly powers afoot. They end up back at this fort. That's where most of the rest of the action takes place with a whole cast of privates and colonels and generals and majors and all sorts of stuff. And um, some motherfuckers get eaten. And some motherfuckers do get eaten. You got about five seconds to spare on that, so good job there. And, uh... And yeah, you know, the the there's actually like, you know, like when you say it out loud, it's pretty straightforward, but the plot like the the movie really is like it's three different movies. Like the the yeah. first act is its own, you know, like uh, you're getting the the post-war recap kind of stuff. <clears throat> and then the middle section, uh we get like a on the road type movie where they're, you know, they're uh going off to go do this rescue mission 
And then I was like, oh, okay, so the rest of the movie is going to be this. They're going to be in the woods, and then they're going to be dealing with, like, the elements. And then, no. And then they shift again, and when we go back to the encampment, then it's, like, full psychological thriller where you don't know if Boyd was imagining the the whole first half of the film. Uh, So I really like how the structure is – it's – Three different things, but they they do yeah. uh, meld really well together. So, uh, what are some of the subgenre things that uh, stand out to you in this one? Oh goodness! Um, well, I I think the I think what I love about this film so much is something you articulated earlier, which is it is it embraces so many tones and it embraces them wildly. Like it, it takes wild swings throughout this movie. And I was along the ride for every single one of them. And I think so much of that depends on the Robert Carlyle performance. And because if you've got someone playing that too seriously, it's not going to work. If you have someone playing that too much for camp, it's not going to work. And he finds the perfect line to dance throughout this where he's almost like he's almost like a sprite. He's almost like a cannibal sprite who's just yeah, like yeah. causing mischief for the sake of mischief. I think back to season one of Fargo and the Billy Bob Thornton character in that series who literally is just there to be chaos personified. And and that's a lot of what I get from Carlisle here. Like, you know, this is just another, you know, this is this is like fun and games for him to a large degree. And he kind of orchestrates everything with this like malicious glee that, that I kind of really enjoy. And um, yeah, so all so to me, all of that hinges on on his performance in that role. And but I love how darkly comic this film is. And like you know, David Arquette's really good here. Jeremy Davies, like they both play. You know, there there's some part of the comic relief to this, but um, but yeah, it's it's it goes dark, dark, pitch dark in places, and violent, and like it doesn't skimp on the gore, it doesn't skimp on the blood, but then it's also got this like lighthearted quality to it, where it's just kind of like I don't know, it's so it's so interesting tonally because I would have never imagined that they would have all worked together, but she somehow makes it successful, and um, and yeah, I'm just kind of I'm kind of, I'm always kind of in awe at how for me it works. You know, I I, I heard you you know listing off like the Rotten Tomatoes score and the Letterbox score. I think this film is is like woefully underpraised and under uh celebrated. So I don't agree with all of that. I think it's much better than what you would find on the internet. Mm-hmm. I think people get turned off by those tonal shifts instead of just rolling with them and then seeing if they actually add up in the end. Yeah, we 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 uh the way we me and Garrett have come to describe it here on the podcast is like getting on the frequency of the movie, you know. And sometimes if if that's just not your frequency, that doesn't make the movie bad, you know. Oh, and this one has a weird frequency. Exactly. Like I said, there's no other film like Ravenous that I have ever seen tonally. The way it's shot, like everything about this film is so unique to itself that it's not fair to me to even try and compare it with other things because it's just totally different. It really is. And like, yeah, so like whenever I was kind of listening out some of the subgenres, I was like, yeah, like it has like this uh, whimsical comedy to it. And like you said, I love how you described uh, Ives as like have like a sprite or like a, or a little troll uh, just like kind of yeah. and, and uh, it, you know, and so it, it has like 
a slight fantasy like vibe, even though it's not, even though, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is, I guess, because then they do kind of go more overtly into, you know, yeah. what the cannibalism does for you. Um, yeah. you know, that it like heals you and makes you strong. It gives you this virility. Um, so it has a, it has a slight fantasy element to it without, uh, yeah. without like the visual sig, uh, like, you know, significance of it. Like, you know, you don't have like the, uh, those kind of things to point out to you, but like the, the feel of it, we got some body horror in there. Um, you know, there's like, a you know, again, like there is some survival in the woods, uh, type stuff going on, but I mean, there is a lot of tones and subgenres going on in this one, uh, which, I, which I really love. And, uh, as for the period piece, uh, a very, it feels kind of a random time period. I feel like this movie could kind of take place anywhere, but uh, so so it's uh doesn't doesn't hurt it for me, but I'm not like this uh oh. time period doesn't seem to intrigue me all too much. Uh, what do you feel about uh as far as it being a period piece? Oh, I I love that it's a, a period piece. I I think that that harkens back to like the Donner Party crossing, which would have been mm. roughly around similar time oh, that this okay. would have happened. And um and also you know and then there's also the Alfred Packer incident as well which would have been which was turned into cannibal the musical by the south park guys but that's also a very pretty well documented case of cannibalism that also would have been around the same time and um you know and this whole idea of like manifest destiny which is what this film is trucking in was so prevalent back then like you couldn't really play on those themes if you're not doing this as a period film to a degree and I also just love the fact that, you know, there aren't a lot of films that take place during the Mexican-American War, and that's an interesting time period to have something set, not only because we're just not used to it in films, um, but yeah, no, I love the period aspect of it. Like, I think that's what kind of adds a little bit of special sauce to it, even though, you know, look, this is a grungy film. Like, this is a dirty, oh yeah, wet, grungy film, and th- through and through, like, they, they just full-on embrace that, and... um and I think that lends itself really well to the overall aesthetic too. So yeah, I, I like the period aspect of it. I generally like period films mm-hmm. uh, as as a rule. I, I I typically find I'm kind of the opposite. I'll typically watch something and be like, oh, maybe I would have liked that better if it was set a hundred years ago. Or I guess my, maybe my thing is I because uh, once you reminded me of the manifest destiny stuff, I was like, oh yeah, duh. It does totally need to be kind of in this year. I guess I wanted. Uh, a little more usage out of uh, this time period. Cause like you said, there isn't a lot of uh, movies set in the uh, Mexican American war. So like, I kind of would have liked uh, to see how that influenced uh, the movie just a smidge more. I feel like uh, rather than it just kind of being the, uh, the setup and the, for the, for the reference of it. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think I just maybe would have liked a little bit more than that. Um, but yeah, so there's, uh, lots of subgenre stuff going on, lots of different things. So, uh, but yeah. uh, so let's go ahead and get into some of the characters here. <laughs> I guess we're gonna go ahead and get like my two biggest uh, flaws out of the way early, and then we the rest of the episode will be uh, be praising this because uh, the so the movie stars uh, Guy Pierce as our uh, boy uh, Boyd here, Captain Boyd, and. Uh, yeah, uh, like he's fine. He's not bad. He he, uh, oh. he serves oh. the he serves the movie well. Um, but uh, he is 
uh, not very compelling to me. Uh, and I mean, and maybe it is just the force of Robert Carlyle's performance is just like so overwhelming that he just like wrestles this movie away from Guy Pierce. Uh, you know, and, you know, and that's part of, you know, Boyd's thing is he's, uh, kind of a bitch. He lays down and doesn't say things and like stuff like that. So I know, uh, that's kind of part of it, but I really wanted to be a little more, more compelled by Boyd, uh, in the third act when he's like, you know, when Ives is kind of, uh, putting the moves on him to, to be like, Hey, you know, be, be, be with me and be with uh, the cool kids and embrace this. And like, you know, those kind of things, I just didn't feel uh, very compelled by him in the third act, but also he's not like bad or anything. So like I, I so th those are I would say like uh yeah the the period piece and then uh Boyd are kind of my two biggest tiffs with the movie. But uh by your reaction, how'd you feel about uh, uh oh. Mister uh, Captain Boyd here? This is top three Guy Pierce performances for me. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I love Guy Pierce in this. I think I think he is doing. I think for starters, I think this is the definition of a guy pierce role like i think guy pierce for so long is that guy you go to to play kind of the staunch serious guy amidst all these colorful characters you know i think back to even like la confidential and stuff like that like he's kind of the go-to for that kind of role and and he is surrounded by a pretty eclectic you know cast i do think his performance probably i understand why it would suffer you know, next to Robert Carlyle's performance, because as much as I like Guy Pierce in this, like Robert Carlyle is is kind of on his own thing. Yeah. But I think Guy Pierce knows that. And I think he is playing mm. I think he is successfully playing like the the anti, you know, he is anti Robert Carlyle in so many ways. And I think that that's the dance he kind of has to do. I don't think he can he certainly, it wouldn't make sense for him to match anything close to the energy that, that Carlisle is bringing. And, you know, you've got David Arquette and Jeremy Davies and Jeffrey Jones, and you've got these character actors who are kind of doing their own unique things as well. So, like, just just in the sense of everyone he's surrounded by, he, what he can do with this role is sort of limited to a degree yeah. without, without copying something else. So I think what he manages to do is really effective because I... By every tortured moment that he goes through, like there is a mo like that that at the beginning when he's hiding under the bodies, which is not the first time we've seen something like that. Like that's what Kevin Costner does in you know Dances with Wolves. Yeah, yeah. So it's not the first time we've seen that sort of thing happen, but the way it's filmed is so intense and grisly. And then at the end, the the the, the part of the movie that still almost makes me gag every time I see it is when he's just like eating that stew. When Guy Pierce is eating that goddamn stew, and um, so yeah, I I I I don't not understand where you're coming from with that, but mm -hmm. I think I think the straight man in movies doesn't get the respect they deserve a lot of the time because I yeah. think I think he's kind of you know he's kind of the anchor of the film to all this craziness going on around him, and, and I think he does a good job with it. Oh yeah, like I, I definitely will not uh, argue that it's a it's a tough thing to pull off, especially in like this kind of movie, because like you said, like literally everybody is like on, you know, like three yeah. levels higher than him at least, like as far as like their their just uh, zaniness and bigness, like everybody is a a character well, in this. Even even someone like the Neil McDonough character, ah, who is essentially who is also so hot in this movie, yeah. Jesus. And who is essentially playing a straight man to some degree as well, but 
Neil McDonough always brings this just insane <laughs> intensity to whatever he's doing. And, like, that's how he gets by is just, like, like Neil McDonough is your go-to for that kind of character. And so watching them play off together is also really fun. Yes, and I wanted more of that. Like, I was actually, I was actually very upset, uh, even though we do get them together when it's literally just Guy Pierce. Like, that's his best work in this movie is Guy Pierce uh, up against Neil McDonough's dead body. Who has yeah. who died with and has like these like bright eyes still and has like yeah. a like weird grin on his face. Uh, the, yep. So yep. when uh, him and Guy Pierce in the hole together was uh, Guy Pierce's like shining moment for me in this movie. Uh, but but yeah the and yeah the, these characters all around uh, even the way that they're introduced like in a like sitcom fashion. Uh, which was hilarious to me. Like that was at the point because um, I was watching it with a friend, and he goes, he goes, "What is this movie?" Uh, when they literally, he's uh, going down, and uh, I love that uh, we're introduced by to Neil McDonough's character. He goes, "And our soldier, Private Reich," and he's just like screaming shirtless, like in a like hot spring or something, <laughs> or in a cold or in cold water, uh, and you like get like um, uh, these uh, these cutaways, and then just the and the ever present score behind it as well. Um, you know, it was again, like the, this introduction to each of the characters was like, kind of like, okay, now I kind of, I, I get like, at first I was confused in the first, like a uh, little bit of the movie. But then once we got that little thing, introducing all the characters, I was like, okay, this is the tone that we're going to be like kind of dancing with going forward. That tone, uh, is still something that like, I, I would like for like, I want to get your feedback on this. So mm -hmm. like, cause you know, the tones are like we've talked about, they're all over the place. Are there moments where it is not successful for you? And if so, and if so, when? I mean, not really, I guess. I mean, really the only, as far as like, yeah, no, the tone, it, it's never a problem for me. Um, but like, yeah, like any of my issues are more narrative or, uh, thematic. Uh, but as far as the tones, like it, it really, like, it's just, a it, it bounces back and forth. It has a really good pace to it. Like this is a, this is an hour 45 minutes, which is like actually my sweet spot. I know a lot of people love, uh, the short, you know, under 90 minute movies and things. Hour 45 is like my sweet spot. And if it's paced out properly, I think, uh, it, 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 it works out like really great. So I think that yeah. helps the tone uh, in the way that just like it like ebbs back and forth. Like, you know, like the, the movie kind of starts off light and then we get like some dark stuff and then, it, and then it gets like, and then the, the light and dark like intermingle and then it goes back to just light again. And like, so the, the way that it like kind of uh, uh, proportions itself between, uh, between its lightness and its darkness uh, works out really well for me. Yeah, and, you know, this is a film, you know, this film was kind of produced by Fox 2000, which was um, this sort of sp sp splinter cell of Fox Searchlight and Fox. They did mostly independent films, and, and, you know, it was kind of their version of, you know, like Sony Pictures Classics or something like that. And And, you know, Fox Searchlight was around, but this was their chance to kind of embrace you know different kinds of genre fare and 99 was probably i would guess their most defining year because they did ravenous they did never been kissed lake placid fight club oh yeah like big year. big year big year big year for them because i don't know like 
I don't know how this film gets greenlit in 1999. Like, I don't know how a $12 million cannibal frontier movie gets greenlit in 1999. That is insane to me that this movie ever got greenlit. Yeah, like, it would have made sense if it was, like, in the early uh, in the early 90s when they were kind of doing these, like, uh, prestige period piece stuff, like, you know, when uh, Dracula and Interview with, Interview with a Vampire, and then they even, like, uh, that... Uh, that Jack Nicholson werewolf movie, uh, you know, so they they were uh, it would have made more sense, I think, even maybe in the early '90s. But yeah, in that in the back end of '99, it is uh, quite fascinating that that it would. And uh, so, and uh, again, like being a you know wide release like kind of cannibal movie, which you know uh, I like that they are they in this in this movie the. Because one of my issues with Bones at all was I wish they would have kind of went into the the morality uh, a bit more uh, of cannibalism. And in this, and I think this is where also like uh, the period piece like uh, does kind of add to the cannibalism effect of it is like, you know, like when you're when you when uh, when uh, as as Calhoun, when we don't know him as Ives and he's, uh, you know, they take him in and he's recounting the story of like what happened. Uh, it's presented in a way that's very sympathetic, uh, and it's like you know, in that time when, like you know, when you know, surviving on the frontier like that was like so dangerous. It was like at, at, at the way they introduce it, you're like, I mean, yeah, it sounds like you did what you kind of had to do, you know. Yeah. Uh, verse and then, but then I like how they kind of shift it uh, throughout. Whenever it's like, okay, like you know, because one, it's like. Uh, it's a perception thing, you know, like when we, like you mentioned, uh, you know, cannibalism being a taboo, uh, uh, that's kind of what, you know, taboo is all about is like, you know, kind of the way that it's by the way that people percept these things, you know, so I like that the movie, uh, you know, presents it one way and then we kind of uh, get to ask more questions about it as it goes on and then, you know, the more information that is provided to us by Ives. Yeah, absolutely. Um and this was also, you know, uh, this is complicated because, boy, I love Jeffrey Jones as an actor. Oh, like, yeah. just one of my favorite mm-hmm. all-time character actors from Ferris Bueller uh, onward. Like, everything the guy has done, acting-wise, I've been a fan of. And he's really good here as Colonel Hart. And this was really, I guess, his last... Well, it wasn't his last film beforehand. He did several after that, but it was one of his last films before he got into a buttload of trouble. Mm. And, um, for you know, for folks who don't know, in 2002, he was accused of soliciting a 14-year-old boy uh, and is now a registered sex offender. His career basically has been non-existent since those allegations. He didn't do anything physically. He didn't, you know, but he still solicited, tried to solicit nude photos. And so... You know, a lot of torn feelings on the Jer- Jeffrey Jones front, but he's so good here. He's really good here um, as Colonel Hart, and it just makes me sad. Like, why can't why can't actors I love just be thoroughly decent people? Just be chill. Like, it's, it's not it's not hard, guys. Just be chill. Like, uh, like be- you know, because I, yeah. I I had no idea about um uh, about that, and because I was wondering, I was like, because like it really did, yeah. He like very much just like fell off like the map like very fast um and 
and it was nice that like because like this was like maybe like the uh, a film that I've seen him in like the like in such a like more uh, prominent role. And so, like, I remember thinking, I was like, oh, man, this is nice that we're getting a little more Jeffrey Jones in this. Uh, so that is a bummer that, uh, <laughs> uh, to put it like yeah. a bummer, but, uh, you know, that, uh, that you know, character actors like him, uh, you know, that, you know, because he is, like, kind of, like, one of those, you know, actors that you, like, see and you're like, oh, I've always wished I got a little bit more of that, you know, I wish I got more of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, but he, he is fantastic in this. Um, and again, Neil McDonough, uh, is also really good in this. Like I loved, um, you know, cause I, I've always, uh, I've only seen Neil McDonough, like, you know, like his like work in the past, like couple of decades. Like, so like, he's always been just like, oh, like the, the like good looking, like zaddy guy to me. But then this, I was like, oh, I was like young Neil McDonough. Uh, and, uh, but he, he brings, he's a, he's a nice, uh, parallel to Boyd. You know, because he is like kind of the he's the because he's just a private. He's not a, a ranking officer or anything, but like he's yeah. but he's the one that seems the most like you know like knowledgeable. He's the most like equipped and like you know he's also like fearless and all these things, uh, all the things that Boyd should be. Uh, you know, in theory at least. Uh, you know, but he's portrayed it you know to a very like hyper masculine like uh, version of it. But uh, but he is a nice parallel that like. Of uh, he kind of has these you know confronting personalities that like Boyd seeing he's like, oh yeah, this is like kind of reminding me of like the things that I'm not and like you know reminding him of you know what he did uh, in the battlefield. So it's like I really like uh, having uh, their two parallels together. Yeah, and the film is the film is shot within an inch of its life. It's beautifully shot. Uh, Anthony Richmond shot it, who, you know, is probably best known, did Don't Look Now, The Man Who Fell to Earth, Candyman, like a great cinematographer. And, uh, and I think he does a remarkable job with this film. I think it looks like he captures the griminess and the grittiness and the, just the hopelessness of, like, the American frontier in, like, a really effective ways. Oh, yeah. It, like, almost feels like found footage in a way. Like, this movie, like, looks like it barely made it. Like, <laughs> like you know, it feels like if you play this film one more, if you project this film one more time, it might catch fire. Like, it has, like, that kind of texture to it, which I love. Um, and, and I was wondering, I was like, I was like, Anthony B. Richmond, I was like, where do I know that name? But, yeah, Candyman, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, one of my all-time favorites, as you guys know. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's shot super well. And, um, and again, like, uh, these, these like little, uh, the separate pockets, like, uh, the, the first act is like, you know, it's fine introducing like kind of the tone and, uh, getting the characters and stuff. But then again, like when we kind of, uh, shift to this middle portion where, um, you know, they, so they, they go, they're going to go, uh, rescue, two people after Calhoun tells the story, which I was like, you guys are really going to go on a th multi-day hike to go uh, save these two people. And one of them has like been murdering people. Well, at least what they thought. So hilarious that they go on this rescue mission to begin with. Uh, but, but I love that, you know, uh, Colonel Hardy just goes, it's our job. Like this is what we do. And it, that was like, almost like kind of like a, uh, I like that this is, they, they kind of, uh, it's not a, a, a righteousness to the, the, the patriotism like it's that you typically think um, presented and I actually appreciated that that they're just like no this is like a, this little 
this little uh, post that, you know, they're, this is where they send, you know, people that like kind of fuck up and they're this like kind of, you know, just a uh, ragtag, give them nothing really to do out there. Except it's Siberia. Stuff like it's this. Si- it's Siberia. You, you know, that you heard that joke for decades. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll send you to Siberia to the outpost there. It's essentially Siberia. Yeah. Yeah, which I so I so I like uh, we that we get like kind of this take rather than a um, you know, like rather than sending Boyd to like a like super like, you know, like a a team to like whip him into shape. They're just like, no, we're just going to send you off over here. But so they they go to this uh, rescue mission uh, and this is where we find out that, you know, uh, Calhoun has set a trap for them, basically. And he was actually the one. That killed and ate everybody, and this uh, little uh, this is uh, definitely where I get the uh, the the sprite troll vibes from him. The way that he uh, yeah. plays with them in the woods uh, as he's you know chasing them around, giving them chances and things like that is so fun. His performance uh, this is like one of the many shifts that you see of uh, Carlisle throughout, and I love uh, this uh, this energy he brings in this like little woods caper scene. He's he's essentially a leprechaun. Like he's essentially the the leprechaun in this mm-hmm. scene, and it's and it's wonder and it is great because it is such a tonal shift, especially considering what's going on, and um, but it works in this weird way, and um, and yeah, again, like I said earlier, like so much of this film is solely dependent on Robert Carlyle's performance and how much we buy it, how much we believe it, and um, because he's just fucking with them. He's literally just fucking with them, like. That's what's great about it. He's 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 fucking with these very serious soldiers and having a blast doing it. And um it's like uh it's it's like nourishment. Uh if you if you follow yeah. like uh you know like zookeepers and stuff, um they like uh they like you know like make them it's like it, it's funny because people on Instagram are always like stop teasing the animal and it's like no, like they're doing that because like it like uh you know uh, it enhances, you know, what they're getting out of that meal. So it's almost like that's what he's doing for himself. Like, you know, like just like, you know, playing with him to kind of build up the fear, build up the juices. So he like really gets the most out of uh, this meal he's about to have. So it's a uh, it's kind of uh, an interesting take that way. If you like, you know, think of again, like cannibals with oh, this, yeah. with these animalistic urges. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it's just yeah. The second the second act I, I of this and it is three very distinct acts. The second act is probably my favorite because it is just a little gonzo and gonzo works for me. Um, and I think this is I think the second act is where you really feel Antonia Bird's presence in the film. I, I think that's like her sensibilities. I think you really feel in that second act. Um, but again, I don't want to discredit the writer. So it's. So this is interesting. Like it, we're talking about it being totally all over the map. Like it's written by a guy named Ted Griffin, who did everything from like Ocean's Eleven and Matchstick Men to like a slate of really not great romantic comedies like Must Love Dogs and Killers and uh, like a very interesting writer in, in just the extent of like the, the varied body of work that he's put out there. And Ravenous is certainly the biggest outlier of everything he's done. It, it's a, I mean, it feels like a first screenplay for somebody for sure. It's like the thing that you make to kind of get out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Yeah, looking at uh, at his filmography, uh, shout out to Tower Heist. Um, like what, like what an odd uh, list of movies that he did. Um, I, but- I, I, I have to comment there because uh, 
uh, me and my recently departed best friend from Birmingham, I remember us going to the movie theaters the same night as that movie was playing and the couple in front of us going, can we have two tickets to Tower Heast, please? <laughs> and that, and that's been a, that was a running joke for years afterwards was like, boy, I sure do love Tower Heast. <laughs> And, uh, oh my gosh, that uh, that is fantastic because uh, we have uh, we tease my mom about a time where we went to the theaters and um, uh, we were going to see uh, the the latest in the Jason Bourne uh, series and she goes up to the window and goes, "Can we get three tickets to the Bourne Super Macy?" And we still give her shit to the, of that to this day. So uh, Tower Heast and Bourne Super Macy double feature it. Well, I and I also and I also want to say say to, uh, this is a such a bad tangent, but uh, I also when I was back home in Birmingham, this was years ago, probably fifteen years ago. I was at a Crystals, which is a regional fast food chain. They serve like sliders. It's like White Castle, but much better. And uh, I was inside, and uh, I I couldn't have written this. Because it was both funny and sad. Because um, a gentleman who was obviously houseless uh, went up to the counter. And I'm saying this with a laugh in my voice. It's really sad. But, like, he went up to the counter and asked if he could get the free whiffy. Oh. Oh. Oh, poor boy. And uh, luckily, the the lady behind him and in front of me, after the the woman at the counter was like... that's not what you think it is. The lady behind him bought him a meal. So I felt better about the situation. Uh, but it was, it was sad, but also like darkly funny. And so, uh, so what you're saying is when you mispronounce a name at the movie theaters, they should buy your ticket. I feel that's like that's exactly, I feel like that that's would, exactly I feel right. like that would be fair. I, I feel like that'd be fair. Uh, like if you're like, if you're going up to the fucking counter and it's me like, can I get a ticket for bones in all? And you go, then you should, you should buy somebody a ticket or you go up there and like can I can I have can I have a ticket for knives out too you need to buy somebody a ticket <laughs> yep like <laughs> that's happening daily i assure you oh my gosh yeah um and and this is uh uh, uh the this has another there's another movie uh ravenous that came out in like uh 2016 uh zombie movie very boring so i hope you guys did not watch uh, that one uh in preparation I did not. instead of this one uh, that 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 would have been uh, really bad. Uh, we have a we have an episode where Garrett did watch the wrong movie. Oh um, what movie was it? I can, uh, I actually can't remember. But if you guys uh, go back and listen to that episode, and you can uh, uh, think of it if you're ever listening to it and going, uh, did Garrett watch this movie recently? It's because he didn't. Uh, but he uh, sold it really well. So we have had a uh, a, a name snafu before. Uh, here on the podcast, which is super funny, but but yeah, back to this uh, in the woods. Yes. It, uh, yes. Meanwhile, in the woods, uh, because I did want to uh, shout out, like, yeah, because I think this is my favorite uh, portion of the film as well. Uh, just because we get like you know we get the the fun and we get the thrills, but then it's also like this is where we get like some of just like the goofiest comedy of the movie as yeah. well. Uh, that uh, I mean, this uh, uh, again, like one. I love that Boyd uh, is so much of a pussy that he. Uh, sorry, no, pussies are great. Pussies are strong. Uh, Boyd is uh, so much of a little bitch that he, instead of fighting uh, Calhoun, he would rather jump off a cliff 
uh, and just goes through this ridiculous tree fall and hill fall scene. Uh, falling onto then Neil McDonough's dead body, rolling with it is absolutely hilarious. I loved it. Yeah. It's the perfect link for like drawing this scene out. Uh, it's hilarious, and then we get a, a nice uh, broken leg out of it as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I, I like, I like that sequence a lot too because it, it plays like slapstick comedy, and like even the sound design is almost designed in like a Looney Tunes kind of way, where like you're, you, they're like, they're like manipulating you to some degree into feeling the goofiness of it even more. And I love that. I love that oh, yeah. about the sequence. I, I love it. it's uh it's a classic thing that you have. I guess you have to do it when you do these kind of scenes. We have somebody just roll out the hill. Uh, you pretty much just have to loop one sound of the actor just going. Because it literally sounds like it's on a loop and it's hilarious. Um, yeah. So I was like, OK, I was like, we are I was like, we are we are it, goofing in this movie. And I love it. it. Rem- it reminds me, even though even, I, I say it reminds me, they're so not similar at all, but it pops in my head when I think of that scene. And it's the scene in the uh, in the tunnel, in the, the classic scene from The Fugitive in the Tunnel, where uh, where Dr. Richard Kimball is on the edge overlooking the huge waterfall and Sam Gerard's there holding the gun. And like, and, you know, of course he jumps and it's like, I question your survival, but okay, this is a movie. But it's also one of my favorite, like, taking you out of a serious moment comedy lines where he's like, I didn't kill my wife. And Sam Lee Jones is like, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just great. No, just and, great. And, and and like you said, like, doubting the, the, the survivability of it is, <gasps> again, like, uh, plays really uh, well on, like, uh, on, you know, Boyd's kind of arc here is, like, like that is like you know like he again he would rather do risk this and like or he he probably just thought he was gonna die uh you know like uh to to avoid you know a confrontation that he feels that he's uh not equipped to handle but but uh you know uh again robert carlisle uh just like his his face and mannerisms and uh he does this like little thing with his hands uh, whenever yeah. he's like, uh, like getting like, uh, you know, titillated, I guess, uh, is uh, really fun. Uh, the the scene where uh, he digs up the knife that he buried, like a dog, uh, absolutely yeah. hilarious. Uh, the the visual of that is great. Uh, the, the this whole little thing, and then and then again, then we get uh, uh, Boyd in the in the hole with uh, with uh, Reich's character. And this is where, you know, he has this, he has a shattered leg. The bone is sticking out of the leg, which he sets himself, which, yeah. oh, God. Yeah, uh, it's rough. And they, and they do a, and they, uh, uh, I love uh, match cuts. And they do one with sound in this one where he goes to reset uh, his leg. And it's uh, time to uh, David Arquette chopping some wood back at the post. And yeah. I was like, ooh, I was like, I like it when they do it um, not only visually with a fun visual, uh, visual match cuts are fun, but then an audio one uh, I thought was a, a really cool touch there. But um, so he, he's, you know, tempted and, uh, you know, he, you know, thinks that, you know, like this is it, he pretty much, you know, decides to himself, like either I'm just going to let myself die in this hole or I'm going to, you know, I got to do what I got to do here. But this is where we kind of get the. uh this is where we get the uh, it shown that it has uh, healing properties 
of some sort because you know he he eats you know Reich's character and then he's able to walk uh, back to the post on this broken leg. Uh, yeah. back, you know, from, from the nourishment of it. So I remember thinking to myself, I was like, God damn. I was like, this fucking, I was like, this is awful. I was like, this is awful. But then that's when it like kind of started clicking. I was like, Oh, I was like, I guess it healed him uh, to a degree, yeah. which I thought was a, a, an interesting little take. I, how do you feel about the, uh, you know, cause we're gonna, you know, we'll get more explanation of it later that, you know, Ives, uh, had tuberculosis and it cured him of that. And then like all these other things. And, uh, and then we see that, like, we thought that heart was dead, but apparently Ives fed him and then he, you know, came back as well. So how do you feel about uh, these, like, uh, the, the healing properties and uh, maybe kind of what they're trying to have it stand in for with the cannibalism? I mean, I, 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 I'm I down for it. I think it's real. Making it a supernatural element almost is 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 a fascinating element of it for me because you hear a lot about you know, if you eat somebody, you know, you've heard about it. It's in classic cannibal mythology. Like you eat somebody, you're eating, you know, you're eating their soul, you're eating their energy, you're eating, you know, you're eating all of these like powerful aspects of that person. And so, you know, yes, it can make you stronger. It can make you more virile. It can make you all of these things. And I like that it just full on embraces that uh, because that's gone back for hundreds and hundreds of years from the very first earliest recorded you know, stories of cannibalism, like there are reasons for it. And so, um, because a lot of the times in cannibal movies, it's just like, oh, I like eating people. Yeah. Like, you know, in Bones and All, it's like, I've got this hunger that I have to, you know, I have to satiate. Or like, you know, in other films, it's like, oh, I just like eating people. And it's like, you know, I I, I like that it it makes the choice to just go all in with the mythology of it. And, um, and I think they pull it off really well. I think, um, you know, it's a, uh, it's a cannibal superhero movie. Kind of. Yeah, it, yeah. it, it, it kind of is. Um, and and yeah, because that's it's a, almost like here's a good example. Like what would happen if Batman ate Superman? That that would be that'd be a, I would uh, that would be something that um, uh, Alan Moore would write. Uh, yeah, uh, he, he would write uh, 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 Batman eating Superman. Uh, but I, I like, cause again, like, uh, throughout the different movies that we've covered, it's like, uh, I like that again. It, yeah. It has to be more than just like, I like eating people. And like, that was one of my issues with bones and all that. I was like, okay, like you guys say that like, you get high and then they like make this whole monologue about what happens when you eat someone bones and all, but then like, we don't really get anything out of that. And throughout the other ones, it's like, you know, uh, it, it always factors into the morality of it. Like, Okay, so like you know, we had like one movie. It's like okay, if uh, eat it, if you if uh, you let somebody eat somebody, you're gonna get this crazy inspiration to make this uh, this painting that you're gonna make money off of. Would you do it? Or with the neon demon, like hey, if you eat this person, you're gonna become young and you're gonna book more gigs and all these things. Would you do it? So it's like for this one, it's like okay, if you eat people, you're gonna uh, get your strength back and it's gonna heal your diseases would you do it? You know? So I like how, um, it, it still plays into the morality of it all. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, that's what cannibalism all is about at the end of the day in, in film is it's about the, mor- the morality of it. it. The most cannibal films are always posing a question. Uh, they're different questions depending on the film, but, uh, but yeah, this one, yeah, this one poses an interesting question because, you know, I mean, I think I like most people, the idea of eating human flesh is repulsive. Like, I, I certainly don't want to do it. Um, 
And I assume, and I have to assume that most people, except for Army Hammer, don't want to do it either. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but, you know, then it's like, well, what would I do if I was posited with, you know, that kind of offer of like, oh, by the way, if you eat this, you know, if you eat this foot, <laughs> like, you're going to be stronger than ever, younger than ever, healthier than ever. I'd be like, hmm, how recently did they bathe that foot? Yeah. And, and, you know, and again, the Campbellism, it's also, you know, always been a stand in not only for the morality of it. Um, it, there's been, you know, through, through the different movies that we've done, like a few of them have had like sexual takes to them. Some have not. And, uh, as far as, uh, you know, it's really in the third act of this movie when we get back to, you know, um, at first it really got, it threw me through the loop of, I was like, oh shit, did Guy Pierce just kill everybody? I was like, is that where this movie's going? Which I, I'm glad it didn't. I feel like that yeah. would have been maybe the easier route to do. So I'm glad they didn't, but they were successful in like making me kind of think that for a minute. And then, uh, you know, we see again, Robert Carlyle has to shift up his performance, uh, once again, you know, uh, you know, presenting himself as Colonel Ives and he's all cleaned up and looking, uh, he looks like a young, uh, or he looks like, uh, he looks like Hugh Jackman, uh, in these scenes. Uh, very, very, very sexy uh, musketeer yeah. vibes here uh, going on. Um, and uh, so he takes over for, for Colonel Hart. And uh, this is where uh, we, you know, we get him toying with Boyd back and forth. And and again, it's like so he's at first he's toying with him. But then when we see that Colonel Hart comes back and then they're trying to uh, give him the opportunity. They're like, well, you know, we know that you ate right, so you are technically already one of us. But, so if you're one of us, do you want to, you know, continue on with this life, you know? And uh, uh, so the, 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 the convincing uh, to, to join them, uh, you know, there's the line that's like, uh, being a Campbell is lonely, it's hard to make friends, uh, which, I, which I liked that take, but then, um, uh, the, but then I was like, I was like, but yeah, Ives really doesn't have like any reason for anything that he does. So I was like, the only reason I can think is like, I was like, oh, I was like, he, I was like, he, he's got some feels for 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 uh, Boyd here. Um, so so uh, what what would you think about uh, the, the the queerness of this third act? Uh, well, I mean, I, I mean, it's certainly I I have always called, considered this film to be a pretty queer film in general, and and I think the third act definitely tests that, and it is the Boyd and the Ives relationship there. At some point, it's almost like a Louis and Lestat relationship. Yes, where where you've got you know you've got Lestat in this case Ives, seemingly just wanting someone to spend the rest of eternity with, and like and trying to like mold him into somebody that he would be comfortable spending the rest of eternity with. And, and that's a really interesting thing. But I also want to like, but there's also this almost sort of like, uh, like what, what, why am I going blank on the word? And oh, there's like this necrophilic lens to this movie where mm -hmm. like the way Antonia Bird shoots the corpses, even like, like even Neil McDonough, she gives him these like bright, gorgeous eyes and like, and like, it's, it's almost like she's trying to like sexualize the dead to some degree as well, which is interesting and horrifying at the same time. 
Um, and so, like, I think the queerness runs throughout the whole thing because you've got this group of, like, sexually repressed men mm-hmm. who are all stuck together. You know some of these motherfuckers are diddling each other back behind the fucking outhouse. 100%. 100%. You know Je- Jeremy Davies and David Arquette have been all up on each other. You know this. And, like... And so it runs through the whole movie, but the third act is really when it kind of explodes. And um, and I and I don't even think it's subtle. I think it is right there on the surface. Like, mm-hmm. and and I saw it actually. Like, I mean, obviously there's the the tension between Boyd and Ives, but then I actually uh, kind of saw it a lot with uh, Colonel Hart as well because oh, I kind of sure. I felt sure. like you know he. Like like you said, like the, the it's a cast of entirely men except for Martha, which I'm glad the the one woman does not get assaulted. Uh, she makes it out alive. Uh, yep. Love everything uh, for that for Martha. But uh, uh, like you said, like it's a bunch of sexually repressed men, and Colonel Hart is you know he's the leader of them. Um, so like you know you like you said like uh, assuming that other people have probably already been messing around and you know but him being the leader is probably the one that's like nope i i got to put my foot down i can't give in to these urges you know um and yeah. so it kind of feels like you know with him uh you know accepting the cannibalism is him you know like uh, ceremoniously being like no i'm accepting my queerness like and look i'm happy like i feel great uh, it was a it was a very interesting uh, way uh, way that his performance changed uh, in that third act compared to what he was doing uh, in the first half of the movie. So I, I very much saw it in that aspect as well because you know obviously the themes of queerness and uh, how that's been treated well, yeah. in the military. You know, so uh, yeah. I like that. I, I kind of saw that as him also kind of being like, you know, like no, this is something that I have low key always wanted. Uh, and I'm, you know, giving into this now. Well, yeah. Well, you know, thinking about it just on the surface, like who are queers? Queers are they're outcasts. Mm-hmm. They're they're punks. They're rebels. They're all these things. And like, what happens? What is always what always happens with folks like that? They are segregated. They are put elsewhere. So they're put in. You know, all of the all of the people who don't quote unquote belong in civilized society are sent to this one fort in the middle of nowhere where obviously they're going to act out on their otherness mm-hmm. to a large degree. And even Jeffrey Jones even almost plays Colonel Hart like a repressed homosexual. Like that's almost, that's kind of the vibe he's dropping down with that performance. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I mean, this whole film can easily be seen as an allegory for just like embracing your queerness and like, and like very much it could be. And, um, and you notice like, you know, one of the very first of the main characters to die is the Neil McDonough character who is representative of not the other representative of like mainstream machismo. And he's like one of the first main characters to die. And um, so I think they're making some very intentional choices with that. Antonia bird is. And, Mm -hmm. um, and you know, when I was younger, when I saw it in 99, I guarantee you, I wouldn't have read into that hardly at all. But, you know, having watched it probably another 10 times since then, every time I watch it, it's like you figure out a little bit more. And and it makes me appreciate it even more, too, because it's just working on so many different levels um, that you wouldn't expect a whimsical cannibal film to be operating on. No, I I, I, again, like it it was something that I, I did not expect. Uh, going into it uh, but then of course like I, I my favorite thing to do 
whenever I uh, watch a movie that I like was going into and I wasn't like expecting queer themes and like see them uh, immediately you just I just Google the movie and I just put queer afterwards and see what articles come up. Sure. sure. Um, yeah. So there's a uh, there's a great article on a uh, Gayly Dreadful by uh, Samantha McLaren. It's lonely being a cannibal, hungry, homoerotic friendship in Ravenous and Hannibal. And uh, it's kind of comparing um, it's a nice article comparing uh, uh, Ravenous and the Hannibal TV series by Brian Fuller. And uh, I, and kind of yeah. uh, drawing some parallels between them, so go check out that article. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. That's uh, a, yeah, that's a that's actually a really great comparison, I think, to to the Hannibal series. Like, not so much the Hannibal films because I don't consider the Hannibal films to be cannibal movies. Um, but um, yeah, the series has a lot of like interesting thing going things going on that that share some DNA with Ravenous for sure. So I would not be shocked if Brian Fuller drew from ravenous on on some of his inspiration for that series um and uh yeah yeah i just i i don't know i feel like this is this is a film that every year i feel like is a little more known than the year before but it still hasn't reached that level of sort of cultural awareness that i would want it to Mm -hmm. and 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 i think there are a lot of reasons for that i do think it is the cannibal aspect of it i think it's the tone and, and how all over the place it is and i think people look at it they see a trailer and they just see a bunch of like dirty, grimy guys like stuck together in a cabin or doing all these things. And that doesn't seem on the surface very interesting. Yeah. But, you know, you get into it even in the first 15 minutes and you're like, okay, this is a very different film. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then even I love how um, they, they, uh, the, the marketing stuck in the tradition of, uh, oh, we have an actor that's blowing up for something else. Let's go ahead. Uh, even if they're not a main person, let's put them on the poster anyways. Because I was like, oh, I was like, I was expected uh, David Arquette to be in this movie a lot more. He's billed third and he's on the yeah. poster and he's, uh, yeah. you know, he's uh, just the, the, the goof of the, the goof stoner of, uh, of yep. the of the post, which I love um, him and him and George. You know, they were you know, they were also diddling around as well. Uh, well. <laughs> but this is also like keeping in mind like this is you know three years after scream yeah so exactly uh, you know he's hot shit at that point jeremy davies is one year removed from saving private yep. ryan so like that's the reason they're on that poster like that is it and it alone because you know this this poster should have two names on it guy pierce and robert carlisle yep that's it well, that's all it needs yep Yep, one hundred percent. Because yeah, that's it. I I do find that funny. Yeah, because that was uh, immediately as soon as uh, Toffler came on, uh, my buddy goes, "Oh, is that a homie from uh, Saving Private Ryan?" And I was like, "Oh yeah." And he was like, and then the rest of the movie is like, he's like, "Oh shit!" And then he just uh, goes out and dies like that. And it's like, yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, you know. So and, and then this uh, in the third act to um, and I guess uh to kind of like kind of loop back around because I like that you know, uh, her heart kind of had a, you know, kind of more complete, uh, thematic arc than Boyd. I think that's again, like some uh, reason that like, I didn't feel as compelled by Boyd. Cause so, you know, I guess, I guess with Boyd, if you're, it, I guess uh, if you're trying to tie the queerness into it with him, it makes it even, uh, less impactful for me because I'm like, well, so, okay. Well, you know, so he, he uh he's basically deciding like you know of the morality i think i think with him it's more straightforward with just like the morality of cannibalism because he's like 
no, I'm not going to continue this, but I'm only going to eat enough. So that way, like I have the strength to like defeat you. So you're like, you can't keep doing this, um, which is, yeah. which works fine. But again, I kind of would have liked, um, so some, a little, uh, a little more emotional heft, uh, for, for Boyd's character on the end. What about you? Yeah, I mean, again, like I, I'm okay with Boyd's arc. I agree with you. I think uh, Jeffrey Jones gets a richer arc, um, which, which you know, with, frankly, was a pleasant surprise even the first time I watched it because I didn't expect that for that character. Um, but I, you know, I like Boyd. I like Boyd. I like. I believe his like his essentially his journey out of uh, wimp wimpdom. Like I, I liked. I kind of liked that journey and about him sort of, you know sort of ha- figuring out what he has to do and actually following through with it. I, I bought that. Um, I do think the film suffers a little bit in their sort of quote unquote confrontation at the end. I, there is a little bit of feeling of like, they're just trying to get the movie over with. And so, you know, I do feel that a little bit, but I mean, I love how the film ends. Like I love John Spencer coming on for one scene. This was actually John Spencer's final film role before he passed away in 2005. Like, him coming in at the end was such an interesting little bookend to the film that I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I really dug that too. So, and so I don't, I, I will agree that I don't know that ravenous fully sticks the landing, but I think it does a pretty damn close job. Yeah. Like, it, cause I mean, uh, I, cause again, like, yeah, it is kind of uh boy does just like kind of get his moment to finally like be like, no, I like will put myself on the line to like, you know, yeah, for, for the betterment. Uh, which I mean, what a what a metal way to fucking like end you and somebody else in a and smash together in a bear trap, like yeah, that's, that, that's, yeah, that's pretty fucking metal uh, way to go out if you're if you're gonna do that. Um, but again, like we also get like just the visual of you know him and Ives, you know, like on top of each other. Uh, and and maybe I see it as like um, you know, Boyd, maybe Boyd, you know. It, Due to his, you know, decisions on kind of being scared of, you know, everything else in life, uh, you know, maybe it's a, it's because it, it is a tragic ending, obviously, because he he dies as well, and yeah. um, you know, and maybe that if you kind of look at it in the queer lens, that makes it even more tragic for him because it's like, oh well, he, you know, he had he had ideas of, you know, like exploring his queerness, maybe, but. Uh, but like, this is more of a, a grooming situation rather than a, like, you know, a love situation of, you know, like, oh, maybe he would have explored his queerness, but maybe not. He, he didn't need the, the extra pushes and shoves from, from Ives, you know, to, to yeah. really be like, no, no, this is what you want. Uh, so it kind of makes it a little bit more tragic for Boyd actually, now that I think about it. Um, but yeah, and, and I can't not think of, uh, if you go and listen to our episode of uh, Interview of the Vampire, I probably say all the exact same things about uh, Louis because he is also a bitch. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, so so um, I, I love that uh, once you brought up Interview of the Vampire, kind of couldn't stop thinking about it. <laughs> you know, I'm also really interested because this film was almost directed by Raja Gosnell. Uh, came very close to be had the cast not stood up and said no. And I'm, I've never been more thankful for a cast in my life because let's be clear. This is the guy who directed home alone three big mama's house, both Scooby-Doo movies, Beverly Hills, Chihuahua, Smurfs one, Smurfs two and show dogs. Now imagine that motherfucker. He also, let's be clear. 
He also edited Home Alone and Teen Wolf 2. So imagine someone with those sensibilities directing fucking Ravenous. Like, it could, it would have been a disaster. It would have, yeah, the, the, the tone just wouldn't, like, because, again, like, for everything working in this movie and for the tone to be as locked in as it is, or, well, chaotic, but locked in. Uh, you know, it would have been too much, uh, and I and he probably wouldn't well, have he wouldn't have uh, brought the horror as well, which I lo- I'm glad that uh, this movie still does not skimp on the horror. Like we do, got plenty of blood. We got you know we get some nice uh, wounds. We get broken limbs. Uh, we get obviously we get some uh, shots of people being half eaten. Uh, so it's like I'm I'm glad that um you know that happened as well because I don't think we would have uh, got as many of the horror elements that we would have gotten, especially because you know he. You know, all those movies that that other director made, like those are all, you know, more uh, mass appeal type movies. And oh, yeah. So it's like uh, for this already being a a gamble to to kind of be a wide release movie. Um, Yeah. So glad glad Antonio Bird was brought in. Well, it's also just interesting, too. It also just shows you. It's just another example of how idiotic studio execs can be, because like. You know, the whole thing with this is, like, they lose their original director, who, it's some, like, Manchevsky, something like that. Some director who has not gone on to really do anything at all. Was originally, and I gather, was the first person attached and really guided this through most of its pre-production. And then, you know, they couldn't agree on budgets or anything, so they fired him. They bring in Raja Gosnell, who at that point had only directed had directed Home Alone 3 and Never Been Kissed. Now, Never Been Kissed was for the same studio, which is, I'm sure, why they brought him in. But how are you a studio exec and you need somebody to take over your cannibal movie and you think, oh, this guy just (laughs) finished Never Been Kissed. Perfect. Like, that, that just reeks of, like, stupidity on so many levels of why you would think as a studio executive that that is a good pivot. And... Mm -hmm. it just goes to show you, I mean, there's a reason Fox 2000 is no longer around. I mean, mm. like, those kinds of decisions are idiotic. And it just, it, it just, yeah, it just, it just, it just shows me that studios have never had a good grasp on how to handle genre content. Yeah. Ever. It, and it, and you can't do it by playing it safe. Like, you couldn't, you can't do a safe no. cannibal movie. I think that's, you know, no. maybe what would have happened. It's like, you, you can't do it, like, yeah. even, even if it is, you know, going into a wide release, uh, you definitely, like, can't play it safe. So it's like I, I'm, yeah. I so I very much appreciate that the movie not only you know taking swings with the story but then also taking swings with uh you know this tone that it's presenting as well uh, uh all around so so uh let's go ahead and uh, we'll get into our uh, final rating out of out of five out of five what, what what was eaten the most in this movie I mean well five bowls of stew five five bowls of person stew. Uh, what are you giving Ravenous and, uh, give us your final thoughts. Um, I would give it four bowls of stew. Um, I really, really like this film and it's one that grows on me. Like I say, every time I watch it, I feel like I appreciate it a little bit more. Um, I, I, I think it, it, it's just, it's just the right movie for me. Like this scratches all of my like cinematic itches in so many ways. 
And um, it, it's a fun movie to show people for the first time, especially if they're into this kind of thing. Like, it generally blows their mind if they've never seen it because they're like, how did I not know this fucking existed? By the time you end with two grown men sort of like blood fucking in a bear trap, <laughs> like, um, like people are just like, what did I just watch? And I'm like, you watched a mainstream theatrically released film from 1999 with a $12 million budget. That's what you watched. Enjoy. And so I would give it four bowls of stew. Um, I do think it doesn't entirely stick the landing at the end, which is the only reason, honestly, it's not probably four and a half for me uh, is because of that. But I think everything else works really well. And I think Antonia Bird kind of, kind of knocked it out of the park coming in at the last minute. Yeah, one hundred percent. It is it is uh, impressive. Just like yeah, when you present it for what it is at that, like it it is just impressive that it uh, came out the way that it did at all. And uh, so for me, uh, I'm going three and a half out of five um, bowls of stew here uh, because I, the the first like little bit at the beginning, I was like kind of I wasn't sure where the movie was going, but then as soon as we like got to Fort Spencer, and I was like, okay, like now I kind of can like feel this movie out a little bit more uh was along for the ride through the end um the ending's fine i think it could have been a lot better but i think it works though as well um and and again like my 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 tips with boyd if uh if, if i if i would just like felt a little bit more for him this would be more in the four star category for me um but yeah so i'm going three and a half because the the, the tones just work really well the um Again, the, the the middle section is just so much fun. Like I absolutely love uh, everything uh, of that woods portion of the movie. So, um, and it got got a lot of good laughs out of me. It's got some good dark comedy and uh, uh, just a shit ton of subgenres going on in this. So, uh, three and a half bowls out of stew for this one. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, see what other movies we were thinking about when we were talking about Ravenous. Here on the Spectre Cinema Club, we always close it out with a little game of movie math where we just uh, we come up with a little math equation of uh, movies that may have inspired the movie or just uh, kind of uh, have some similar parallels to them. And, uh, you know, you can put in uh, whatever uh, math uh, arithmetic that you want here. So, Billy Ray, what's uh, your little equation looking like here? I would say it is McCabe and Mrs. Miller plus cannibal the musical minus bone tomahawk gets you ravenous okay yeah yeah i'd say the math the math checks out on that i haven't seen um uh the first one you mentioned oh, oh mccabe and mrs miller yeah what 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 uh year was that uh that was 1970 it's robert altman um mccabe warren Beatty, julie christie 71 1971 okay okay i'll have to i'll have to look into that one. Oh, it's great yeah it's a it's an all-time masterpiece like it's robert altman it's uh uh leonard cohen does the score for it uh it's great it's great mm. i will i will check it out so not a horror film by any stretch definitely a like western drama frontier john drama no no horror elements whatsoever Okay, I gotcha. Um, so for mine, um, you know, I realized I just haven't watched uh, all too many Frontier movies, so I was kind of struggling on, like, where to get that inspiration into mine. But uh, so in my parentheses, um, I, I just put, uh, I threw out The Revenant, 
uh, because of just some of the survival aspects and like uh, the way that sure. the movie just also presents that like, hey, this time period, it kind of sucked uh, living uh, and it was hard to survive and uh, it was uh, rough and gritty and dirty. Yeah. And yeah. Um, just uh, again, like kind of the things that you're willing to do to survive. Um, so I got that. Uh, I got that uh, added with raw um, for the for the Campbell parts. And I kind of get uh, almost like that with uh with that feel like the the relationship between the sisters and that with uh i've ives and boyd here of uh kind of being like uh you know like hey this is already you this is in you already so like here like let me try to shepherd you uh towards it um but raw does it in a um uh definitely more uh satisfying way with the familiar aspect the familial aspect of it um, yeah. but, but I still kind of see some parallels between, uh, the relationships a little bit. I got that also added with inter- interview with the vampire because once you said it, <clears throat> once you said it, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Cause I was like, damn, I was like, they, they very much are Louie and Lestat a little bit throughout yeah. the movie. Uh, so I got those added together in parentheses. I got that multiplied, uh, by jackass because that's, uh, some of the, some of the, uh, whimsical, uh, comedy uh, that we get out of this, some of the visual comedy that we get in here. So, like, got to throw in a little jackass flavor. <laughs> nice, nice. Very eclectic. Yes, yes. And that will uh, go ahead and do it for the month of Cannibals. Uh, we had uh, we had five weeks in, in this month. So uh, we are uh, stuffed full of Cannibal movies uh, for the month. And uh, we're going to be... And, and hey, if you don't like my opinion, eat me. Damn right. Damn oh. right. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I love uh, the the two different uh, quotes. We have like the first quote that comes up that's like all like you know like uh, prophetic and everything, and then yeah, and then the second one's just like eat me. <laughs> I love eat that. me. Um, but yeah, so uh, going into next month, we're gonna be uh, closing out the year on a light note. We're gonna be uh, looking at uh, some of the spookier Disney Channel original movies. Um, nice. I, I've been telling people our exact range on the podcast is cannibal movies. Uh, one month, and then Disney Channel original movies the next please, month. Please, please tell me you're going to be discussing Mr. Boogity. Uh, we actually are not. That one we will not. So for for round two of the Disney Channel originals, uh, me and you will be uh, chatting. Mr. Uh, well, I mean, you've already you've already shot yourself. You're not doing Mr. Boogity. You've invalidated your entire. Uh, goal here by not including Mr. Boogity. I mean, we do got some bangers. We we got some bangers lined up. Uh, I believe you ain't got no you ain't got no boogity bangers. No, no boogity bangers. Uh, we're gonna be starting off uh, with um, uh, my mom dated a my mom's dating a vampire. Oh, uh, which is hilarious because that was the one that Garrett kept playing on uh, on Incinerator on our episode. That, that is that, that is, is correct. correct. Oh my goodness, look at that full circle. So that's what we're gonna be talking. Uh, uh, next week. Very excited for that. Um, but uh, speaking of your podcast, Billy Ray, uh, sure. where can the people find you? Tell them about uh, the pods because uh, Incinerator, we're in the off season now. Yeah, so I host the Incinerator podcast uh, and we did just close our first season. We we're running a lot of Patreon exclusive stuff until the new season kicks off in February. Yeah, it's a movie competition game. Uh, we get different guests on. They uh, they take turns sending films into the incinerator until only one remains. And uh, it was a really fun first season. Uh, had a had a great time. I think season two is going to be even more insane. 
Uh, I've got another podcast that's going to be dropping in 2023. I can't say much about it right now other than I think folks will really enjoy it, especially if you liked uh, Movies with Gravy. I think it's it's kind of just a spin on that. Um, but it will be a bit more, it won't, it won't ju- be a mom and pop deal. It'll be a, in a, on an actual podcast platform. So, um, stay tuned for that. And then otherwise, you know, if you're in the Pacific Northwest, you should also check out makebelieveseattle.com. That's my new genre film festival in March that I'm putting together and, uh, it's shaping up to be kind of, a uh, kind of cool. Hell yeah. We'd love to hear that. Um, definitely going to have uh, links to all those things in the show notes and uh, we'll be definitely keep my eyes peeled out for, uh, for your festival. That's going to be good stuff. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore daddy disco. Um, what have I guessed it on recently? Uh, pot and pendulum. We did uh, orphan first kill oh. uh, just dropped. Uh, so go listen to that episode. Cause I fucking love orphan first kill. I'm an Esther stand now. Um, yep. And uh, so go listen to that. Uh, you might, and uh, we uh, we'll definitely uh, talk a little bit about Orphan First Kill in uh in the best of 2022 uh, in January at some point. Uh, so yeah, so we'll definitely get into it. But go listen to that episode. And um, I think that's all I've done recently. So uh, oh, and uh, go check out a uh, Church of Tarantino. We did a uh, Bible study on the uh, scene. From the Hateful Eight, where Samuel Jackson uh, tells um, um, Bruce Dern the story about how he killed his yeah. son and made him suck his dick. So, yeah. Uh, g- well, I, I, that that's an amazing scene. That that sounds amazing. I'll also throw out. I didn't even think about pugging podcast appearances. Uh, you can also, uh, if you want to hear my voice even more, uh, you can check out the B-Side podcast from the fine folks at the film stage, where I go deep on my boy Dylan O'Brien. Ooh, I uh, love Dylan O'Brien. Uh, super, he kind of become part of my brand over the last few years, <laughs> and uh, and uh, had a great time talking about four of Dylan's more lesser known films. So that's what the B side is all about. And then you can also hear me on the Every Rom Com podcast, which will be dropping in the next week or so. I join them to discuss the gay romantic comedy Christmas movie Dashing in December. So if you want to hear me talk for three hours about a Christmas rom-com, this is your chance. Billy Ray is the consummate podcast appearance person. That's why uh, I was so happy that I was able to get you in last minute to 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 help fill in with me. Oh, so I very much appreciate you there. Um, but Garrett will be back next week, and uh, we're going to get into uh, some December stuff. So uh, be on the lookout for that. But... Now go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Spectre Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Subscribe to not miss a thing. You can follow us on social media at Spectre Cinema on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us five stars, a nice little review. We appreciate you. But until next time, guys, stay lifted.